You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. So, back to our time of worship this morning. If, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box, and um, I am a lead pastor in Midtown, and also, as you can see, uh, not the most professional at times, but really glad to have you here. One of the things we love about our church is that we are uh, pretty just real, and uh, you get a taste of that right right now. So um, we are in a series that we've entitled uh, Hope for the New Year, and uh, we titled that because we're all hoping that this year will be better than last year, right? I mean, last year was really, really rough, and so we entered this year with some hope that it's going to be better, but unfortunately, it didn't take real long for us to see evidence that the division and the disease uh, of 2020 didn't end with the end of 2020. And, um, you know, just a stark reality that th- things are rough right now, and yet we still have hope that things will get better, don't we? And, and that's a good thing, like to hold on to that hope. But, you know, we, that's what this series is about. And one of the areas that we were really hopeful uh, and I can just speak personally for myself, and I'm really personally hopeful that this year we'll see improvement in is in the area of racial unity. And um, in fact, one of the, I know that I'm not alone uh, with in that desire uh, within our church. Uh, this is actually one of the reasons why when we planning the sermon series out months ago, we chose the weekend of uh, uh, Sunday before MLK Day to be the time when we would actually talk about this hope, the hope for racial unity, because we know that uh, our church shares this hope. In fact, one of the most encouraging aspects of last year for me personally was watching and hearing how uh, many of y'all really got involved in this in this area. That uh, story after story, literally after story. Of, of what you were reading, which who you were listening to, what you were doing to learn, what you were, uh, and then watching you lament over um, the state of things, both in your own heart, perhaps, or definitely within our world. And then hear, uh, hearing and seeing how many of you, both uh, black brothers and sisters, white brothers and sisters, Spanish brothers and sisters, Asian brothers and sisters in our church, really getting involved in um, using your, your voice, your time, your resources, uh, to pursue racial unity, like it, I heard so many stories, like it was so encouraging for me. And again, I know that that's why we share a hope to see that this year will be better towards that end. But that's also why the beginning of this year has felt uh, so discouraging, right? And you see the images come from the Capitol riots, and I guess it's disheartening. Yeah, yeah. You got the picture of the guy with the Confederate flag walking through the Hall of Congress. All this white supremacist messaging on the on the posters. The uh, the, the gallo news that was strung up outside the Capitol. I mean, what in the world? Yeah, add, add to that the, the the contrast of what we saw, uh, how the rioters retreated uh, at the Capitol compared to what we saw with the protests, right? So over the um, summer, and just, just such a stark contrast. And the points that have been made about like, well, if this had been a giant crowd of black uh, men and women who had stormed the Capitol compared to a crowd that was overwhelmingly white, like how different would have, I mean, just all of those points that are being made, and you just think, man, like, 
None of that helps fuel hope for racial unity, right? You don't look at that and think, oh yeah, this is, this, we're headed in the, in the right direction. And yet, and yet, friends, we have to hold on to that hope. We have to hold on to the hope that racial unity will become a reality. And uh, that's the first goal of my message for us today, this morning. I, I want to help you know that you know that you know that because of Jesus, that day really is coming. And my second goal this morning is to encourage all of us to live in light of that confident hope and pursue racial unity now. See, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. I love that. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. See, he knew the power of hope, and then certainly uh, he, he knew uh, and experienced finite disappointment. In fact, I would never even dream of using that kind of term to describe what he personally experienced and witnessed, but I'm just quoting him. I mean, I would use words like horrendous, horrific, uh, uh, atrocities and injustices, but and his point, though, is that no matter how horrific and how uh, you know, atrocious what he uh, witnessed and experienced, all of it in the end was finite, meaning none of it gets the final word. Like he knew that no matter how dark the chapter might be, he knew the story wasn't over yet. He had infinite hope that the story, that our story, ends with a happy ending. And friends, that's not Pollyannish. That's not just uh, naive optimism. Like Dr. King was not some just like head in the clouds person. Of course not, right? No, he, he had that hope because he was not wrong. That is how the story ends. And that gave him an infinite hope that helped him continue to press on despite his finite disappointments and the discouragements and horrors that he faced. And friends, if we are going to press on, if we're going to persevere in praying for and pursuing racial unity for the long haul, then we too must hold on to that same hope. That when the story ends, it will end with racial unity being our reality. And so let me tell you this morning how we can know that we know that we know that that's how the story ends. The reason we can know is because by the grace of God, he tells us how the story ends. That in God's word, he tells us what will take place at the end. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John records for us a vision God gave him of what heaven will be like. And in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we are given this description. He says, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, we must let this scene fuel our infinite hope that one day racial unity will be our reality. Like notice here 
that this tells us that when we get to heaven, we don't all become just one race. Like we don't lose our distinctions. They just no longer divide us. But you see, the diversity is a beautiful part of God's lasting design meant to aid in our worship of God as it reflects his beauty and displays his very nature. For our triune God is in his essence one and yet three, unified and yet diverse. And so diversity around the throne of God is a part of his plan forever. We will be different races and yet we will be united. And so there will be a day when people from every nation and tribe and people and language from ancient Israel to ancient Babylon and Persia and Rome and Egypt and Ethiopia and modern day China and Tibet and India and Bangladesh and Uganda and Australia and Afghanistan and Iraq and Russia and Brazil and Mexico and Haiti, and, and peoples from the Cherokees, and the Apaches, and white Americans, and black Americans, and on and on will be united together in praise of our great God. We will be gathered all together. We'll be wearing the same white outfit, it says here, when we come to praise God at this throne, and yelling and glorifying the name of Jesus Christ in our native tongue, because he has saved us, because he has been victorious. Friends, that day is coming. I was thinking about that day this week when I saw the pictures of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who poured out into the streets of Tuscaloosa after Alabama won the national championship. Well, I mean, honestly, I was thinking about this scene because I was studying it, but I was also thinking about COVID, but we won't go there. Uh, right now, just stay focused on Revelation 7, but because I'm seeing these pictures of just this mass of humanity made up of Southern white people and African Americans and Hispanics and probably many other national nationalities out there in the streets celebrating this, all wearing the same color jersey, all wearing the same color, this crimson color of Alabama, and, and, and uh, they're uh, going crazy about a victory that none of them personally achieved. And yet all of the differences that they had and all of the frustrations that they had with each other didn't matter any longer because someone had won for them. And the reason, <laughs> and so they gathered together, unified to celebrate and bask in that victory. Friends, that is just a dim picture of what awaits us. In heaven, all races and cultures will be wearing the same color, rejoicing together. We will no longer be divided by our diversity, but united in it as we celebrate our Savior. See, friends, unity, racial unity will be a reality. And the reason why that day awaits us is because true Jesus truly has secured the victory. That he has defeated the root of racism. So he has done what no one else and nothing else could do. See, racism exists ultimately because sin exists. Both of sin and God. And when we are separated from God, we're left looking for something to justify us and prove our worth and our value. 
And elevating your race over another's race is just the, is one age-old way to do that, which is why racism and ethnocentrism have been around for as long as humankind has been around. And no matter what political party is in power, and no matter how much education or social pressure or system reforms take place, racism will still exist. For as good as those things can be, none of them can address the root issue. And so unless our sin, our transgressions, and our separation from God are dealt with, then racism will persist. But, Ephesians 2 tells us, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That Jesus, by living the life we were meant to live and then dying the death that we deserve to die, dying as a payment for our sins in our place, Jesus made us spiritually alive, having overcome sin. And all that is by grace. As it says, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, meaning that we are no longer separated from God, but united with him in Christ. And as a result, we no longer need to look to anything, anything else, including our race, to lift us up, to make us feel better than someone else in order to know or have an idea of our own value and worth. See, for in Christ, because of what Christ has done, we are already lifted as high as we can get. We're lifted to the heavens. We can know that we are justified and valuable for God loves us so much that he died for us. Which means that not only has Jesus united us with God, but he has made unity with one another possible. For as Ephesians 2.14 goes on to say, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Like it's been destroyed. Because of Jesus, there's no longer any need for a wall to divide us. We are freed from the need to look to anything other than him to determine and know our worth and value. See, that is why the racial unity, that's, this is why racial unity in the midst of racial diversity that is foretold in Revelation 7 will be the reality for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. For he has made it possible. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He has enabled, he has secured unity with God and with one another. And that, my friends, is the reason that we can have an infinite and confident hope that racial unity will be our reality. And we must not ever lose that hope. No matter what disappointment and discouragement we face along the way. Instead, we must let our infinite hope drive us like it did Dr. King to live in light of this hope. See, there have been for many years, there has been for many years an attitude within the church, which I am so happy to say that I see this beginning to change. 
But there is an old attitude that says, well, hey, if this is how things ultimately will turn out, then why trouble ourselves with striving for unity now? Like if racial unity has already been secured in Christ and promised to us in God's word, then why work to bring about something that will not fully come about until Jesus returns? But friends, if you feel that way, let me just call you out in love, but you need to hear this. That attitude is not found anywhere in the pages of Scripture. That on the contrary, it was Jesus himself who taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what does heaven look like, friends? Well, it looks like what we just saw in Revelation 7. It looks like the races and the nations united together in worship and celebration. So what are we to pray for? And what are we to pursue now? That the, the, the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That, that desire should move us to pray and pursue this. See, God's word demands that we pursue unity. As we saw this fall in our Ephesians study, Ephesians 4.3 says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. This is a command. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, an attitude that says, since racial unity will one day be our reality, I don't need to work for unity now, is downright unbiblical and disobedient. Now, our infinite hope that unity has been secured for us in Christ and will be our reality because of Christ is not meant to make us passive. On the contrary, it is meant to compel us to pray for and pursue unity now. So how do we do that? How do we pursue unity in light of our infinite hope? What, what can we do? Let's get tangible. In the remainder of time, I just want to point us to, to four things that I think really will help you towards this end. Uh, and because I'm a little cheesy, they all start with the letter A. Okay? Maybe may help you remember. But the first one is this. Acknowledge your family history. It, one of the things that will help you pursue unity right now in light of our, our infinite hope is that you would acknowledge your family history. So one important thing we can do is to realize the impact that the past has on the present. When someone comes to me to meet, uh, meet with me for counseling, I begin by asking two questions. I ask them to tell me about their relationship with Jesus, and I ask them to tell me about their family of origin. For I know that it's impossible to deal with issues in a person's life unless they're saved, unless they have the Spirit within them. And I know that most issues are the result of, or at least impacted by, their family history. Now, in our individualistic culture, we don't like to believe that what others have done or not done really impacts us to that degree, but we're gravely mistaken. See, in white and black friends, acknowledging and dealing with our family history will help us pursue unity. And when I say family history, like I'm not talking about ancient history. 
I mean, it was just 56 years ago when Dr. King was assassinated. And so friends, we would be wise to ask ourselves the question, how has my family history impacted my current attitude and activity today? For example, like, let me just be honest with you. And this is uncomfortable for me because like, I think the world of my parents, I have the most awesome parents. I would, I just think they're incredible. I want to be just like them in so many ways. But if I'm honest, pursuing racial unity was never, uh, was not a focus of theirs for a very long time. It's not that they were against it. They just didn't, it was, it was as if it really wasn't on our radar. And I can't remember a single time when we had a black family over for dinner. We didn't have any close black family friends. In addition, I grew up in a church that had a huge youth group. And I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of students. And yet I don't think we even had one black person in our youth ministry ever. And as a result of my family history and my church family history, pursuing racial unity wasn't on my radar either. And it took a class in college on civil rights oratory for it even to come to my attention. And then it took a way more than that to ever get me to actually think I had a part to play in pursuing unity. Why did it take so much? Well, because it takes intentionality to break from what you have inherited. Like you have to name it, own it, mourn it, and repent from it. And white brothers and sisters, there is a good chance that you will be helped by doing the same. That if your family heritage is racism or passivity, you would do well to name that, mourn that, and repent, meaning Turn from that, Take, make a break from that. Black brothers and sisters, if I could be so bold, I'd say you would be helped by doing the same. For bitterness or anger or unforgiveness or a lack of hope that there will ever be real change have been a part of your heritage, then you too would be well served to name that and mourn that and repent from that so that you too can be helped in pursuing racial unity. That's the first thing. We gotta acknowledge your family history because our past impacts the present. The second thing I think we could do that would really help us pursue unity in light of our infinite hope is that we should ask God to search our heart. One of the best ways to do this, friends, is, is just by praying through Psalm 139, 23, and 24. That psalm says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And I would really want to encourage you to pray that prayer in light of this issue. To commit to ask God this week, now, will you search my heart and show me if there's any offensive way in me? And friends, if he does show you something, then with joy and boldness, confess that, knowing that when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. 
and that this isn't an activity in order for you to feel guilty, but in order to take this to God, the one who loves you so much that he died for these sins, you confess them, he forgives them. But we have to deal with our heart. We deal with our family history, dealing with our own heart. These are very important steps to help us really pursue racial unity. And then the next step I would encourage us to take is to act in humility. Act in humility. See, in Philippians 2 tells us what acting in humility looks like. It says this, in humility, this is how you acting in humility, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So that passage goes on to say that our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who left his position of power and privilege and comfort to serve, to serve us, to lower himself in order to lift us up. See, acting in humility moves us to get our hands dirty, to leave a place of comfort or power to look out for the interests of others. And I'll tell you, friends, I, I, I have so much room to grow here. One of the ways I've been trying to do this this past year is by uh, talking to some of my black friends about how to make Midtown's worship services feel more hospitable for them and for people of different cultures. See, I recognize that one of the privileges that I have as the founding pastor of Midtown Church is that I get to kind of set things up the way I really am comfortable with. And our, that includes uh, you know, our worship style and what we do on a Sunday morning. Certainly, well, it wouldn't be my call to have us all meeting over Zoom, but we're kind of stuck with that. But all the other things I get to like make a lot, have a lot of influence on. And I realized, you know what, like I need, if we're going to really pursue racial unity and grow in diversity, I need to, I need to humble myself, act in humility and seek to learn and be willing to let go of my own personal preferences in order to make space for others in order to, to, to make us more hospitable. I got to do that as a church. I do that in my own life. And like, so I've been having all these, I've been having multiple conversations with black, my black friends. And man, I am like the conversations themselves are humbling <laughs> because I am fumbling all over myself. I don't even know how to ask some of the questions I'm trying to ask. And like, it's just in, like, it's, it's embarrassing, cringeworthy and all of that kind of stuff. But yet, if we're going to act in humility, if we're going to pursue racial unity, we got to act in humility. We got to be willing to let go of our own preferences or power. We got to be like Jesus. We have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. We got to put others' interests ahead of our own. And then the fourth thing is this: we need to attach in love. Attach in love. Now. I know that sounds uh, weird, and I might be forcing uh, a, an A for this last point, but there's a reason why I put it this way, attach and love. Oh, and it's this. It's because 1 John 4, verse 20 says this, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And what I find convicting in this is that the Greek word translated hate in this verse it doesn't refer to a feeling, but to detachment. 
So we can see this clearly in Jesus's call and John, I mean, in Luke 14, verse 26, when he says this, it's a famous verse, you'll probably be familiar. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple which sounds so weird. So like, Jesus, you call me to hate, like have harbor ill will towards my wife, my kids, my mother, my father. He's no, no, no. That's not what he's calling us to do. But he's not saying hate in the sense of feeling. He's saying in sense of detachment for in us to really follow Jesus. Our ultimate allegiance has to be to him above all else. That's what his point is. And that's the point of 1 John 4. It's that it carries that same concept of attachment or detachment. Like First John four, mean you could read it this way: Whoever claims to love God but detaches from a brother or sister is a liar. Or put positively, love looks like attaching, connecting. Or put very simply, becoming and being friends with. So we're called to love our neighbors. But as my friend Tori Mayo likes to say, if all of our friends, if all of your friends look just like you, then it could be that instead of loving your neighbor as yourself, you're just loving an extension of yourself. And so a question worth asking is, am I making friends or do I have friends? that are from a different race or culture. So that's where the rubber meets the road. If you're going to really want to get involved in pursuing unity, the way that that struggle gets personal to you is when you know someone of a different race and culture and you know their story and you start seeing things, not from your outside looking in vantage point, but within the relationships, the how to help white people love better, how to help black people have equality and be loved and, and help. I mean, you just, all of the things start getting tangible through the, the avenue of relationship. We have to attach and love. As I said in the fall, if our church is going to grow in diversity and serve as a light in our divided world, then it really begins at our dinner tables. For church congregations, reflect dinner tables or whatever the COVID equivalent of that is, yeah, Zoom Hangouts. God help us. <laughs> but like, it really might, and, and not just might, it's definitely gonna require you and I to go out of our way to start forming friendships with people of different races. So friends, act in humility. Leave what's comfortable and seek to attach and love. And like, if you're going to do that, then as you, you, you're going to run into stuff that causes you not to want to do that. So confess that. Ask God to search your heart, root that out of you. And you're going to run into some stuff that just feels, this is different than how I was raised. This is different than what I inherited. And you're going to, you need to own that. Name it, repent from it. Ask God to deal with your heart. And then friends, let's act in humility. Let's attach and love. Because we've got an infinite hope. That this is what is going to happen. 
This is what Jesus, a part of, an aspect of what Jesus accomplished on the cross is that he tore down the dividing wall hostility between us. And one day it will be our experience. But in the meanwhile, we are told to pray and pursue this now, to make every effort. And so let's make every effort. And one more thing I'll say before I pray is this. Huh. If you're passionate about this topic, but you don't know for sure how to move forward beyond what I've mentioned this morning, like I really want to point you to our Discover Your Calling training huddles that we're kicking off in February. Now, these training huddles are going to help you really have some community to seek a way forward to know how to, not just in this topic, but it will apply to this area, to help you think, this is what I'm passionate about, this is what the world needs, and how has God wired me to be able to partner with him in this? So I would encourage you to consider jumping into one of those groups. Friends, let's hold on to our infinite hope. Let's live in light of it. Let's partner with God in it. Let's pursue racial unity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we need you for this. God, we pray right now for your will to be done, for your kingdom come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, thank you for giving us, by your grace, a picture of what the end of the story would look like, that racial unity will be our reality because Jesus truly has secured the victory. And Lord, we look forward to that day around the throne of Jesus where we are declaring that all power and honor and dominion are his. God, we want more of that now on earth. And so we ask that you would fill us with hope and compel us to pray and to pursue racial unity now, that we would make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace, and God, that we would grow in this. And I pray that each person in our church this week would at least take at least one step in this area this week. Help us move forward for your glory, for the good of our city and our world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.